Welcome to Slay Church. We are so glad that you're tuning in today and pray that wherever you are, this message will bless you. If this impacts you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. Well, hey, as Pastor Brandon said, uh, my name is Jared. I'm one of the executive pastors here. And how good is it to be in church at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning? Come on. These are God's people. It doesn't matter what else happens to you today. You know that you've been up. You've been in church. You met with God. Your day could go amazing or your day could go terrible. But you can go to bed tonight knowing that you took one step in the right direction towards your relationship with God. How exciting is that at 9 a.m. in the morning? Let's go. But it's good to be here. I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I've got something that uh, God's been putting on my heart that I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing with you. And I'm having a hard time getting my computer open to see what that thing is. Here we go. Thank you. But yeah, for, for those of you who I haven't had a chance to meet yet, uh, I figured I would introduce myself. This is my first time speaking here at Inn of Waterloo. So uh, there's a long way to turn the head when you're talking to everybody. So uh, if I don't like look at you guys for a little while, just like hang in there with me. And uh, same for this side as well. And the front row, like it's going to be kind of weird. We're going to get right down in everybody's face. But it's, a, it's an honor. It's a privilege to be here to have the, the opportunity to speak. I wanna, as Pastor Brandon said, I'm not a guest speaker. I am one of the executive pastors here uh, on staff at Slate Church. And it's amazing to be here with you today. Uh, it's, it's an honor to be able to share this, to have a, have a chance to jump on the, the platform and, and, and speak from the heart about some of the things that God has been laying on my heart in this last little bit. And it's an honor to serve uh, in our church under our lead pastors, uh, our Pastor Brandon, Pastor Emma, Pastor Luke, and Pastor Victoria. And every time I go through their names, I know all of them well, and I'm always so scared I'm going to miss one or forget one or stumble on it. But Hey, they, they are honestly the best. They're, they're phenomenal leaders. It's, it's like I get to see a lot of their life uh, being in the office with them in, in day in and day out and, uh, and not just on Sundays. And let me tell you, uh, the way that they carry themselves uh, on a Sunday is, is indicative and is probably only a small glimpse of the way that they carry themselves throughout the rest of their life. They are uh, phenomenal people. We were at a conference this past week, uh, ARC conference, it was a one-day conference in Mississauga, and it was a conference for church planners and for, for pastors and church leaders. And then we all went, to, we, there's a bunch of us on, on, uh, on team here that went, and, and the lead pastors went. And it was really, really cool to see them just in a different environment. Uh, we see them day in and day out here all the time. Uh, and, uh, and it was cool to see them in this, this unique environment with some of these other people. And uh, one of the things that I really took out of the day that really struck me, and, and uh, I, like, I was like going home and processing on the, on the car ride home. I drove back with my friend Silas, and we were talking about the day and how things were going. And, and uh, one of the things that I was processing in my mind is just like, realizing like, man, we have it really, really good at Slate Church with the leadership that we have. Like, I don't think I'm ever really going to understand the sacrifice that they made to, to change the trajectory of their life and say, no, 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 let's, let's start something in Kitchener-Waterloo region that's going to impact this area. It's going to impact Canada because we want to see people who don't understand who Jesus is and don't know that he loves them actually come into relationship with him. So I don't think I'm ever really going to understand that sacrifice. But, um, but I also like, it was cool to see them in a new context because it, it helped me like understand how, how good we have it with our leadership. It's like when you're like a kid and you go over to your, your friend's house and then their mom like cooks dinner for you. Did you know you remember this? And it's like not that good. And then you go back home, and you're like, oh man, mom, you're actually like, thank you for the dinners that you make. Like it's really good. Uh, the conference was great, and this is not like a commentary on any other pastors in this region, but I I came away from that conference going like, oh man, like we got some good leaders here. We got some good pastors. So can we put our hands together and just honor them this morning? Thank 
thank them for who they are. There's a, there's a, there's a scripture in, uh, in Mark, in the, in the Bible, it's in the book of Mark, and it's, uh, it's in chapter 6. And Jesus has been traveling around to all of these different cities, and he's been performing miracles, and he's been teaching, and he's been preaching. And, and he gets back to his hometown, and he's excited about going back to his hometown. There are people you can imagine in his hometown that he wants to see again, that he wants to talk to. And, uh, and he gets there. And he becomes like a little bit frustrated with what happens when he gets back to his hometown. He gets there and he's, and he's trying to, to teach and trying to preach. And people are kind of like, hey, isn't this, just like, isn't this just like the guy that we see all of the time? Like he used to be a carpenter. Like who is this guy? Why is he here doing all this stuff? And, uh, and Jesus makes a comment and he says, uh, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. And so, again, that's, that's some of the reason that we take a moment to honor our lead pastors. It's not, not to, to uh, you know, not because if we don't do that, they're going to stop doing what God has called them to do. But it's to remind ourselves, like, hey, even in their hometown, let's make sure we're lifting them up and raising them and encouraging them and helping them f- push uh, on in, in what God is calling them to do. And it's cool because also in that, in that scripture, in that passage where Jesus has gone back to his hometown and, he, and he's trying to, to perform miracles and he wants to, to speak to people and he wants to change lives and he wants to change hearts. It says in, in verse 5 that the passage says he could not do any miracles except lay hands and, and heal a few sick people. God went back to his, his hometown and he was excited about what was going to happen and he could not do any miracles except lay hands on some sick people and, and see them healed. And, uh, and you, like, as, as I'm reading this, I'm like, well, he could not or he would not because I thought God could do anything. And, uh, and as I'm reading it, it says, no, he could not do any miracles except lay hands in and heal a few sick people. And there was something cool uh, that, that I'm thinking, like, okay, well, why couldn't he do that? What was the problem? What was the challenge? What was the hang-up? And I look at uh, chapter or verse 6 of Mark 6, and it says this. It says that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. It's interesting as you're reading that, the verse 6 points to why he couldn't do what he wanted to do. Verse 6 says, Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. See, a, a lack of a move of God is never due to his lack of ability to move. It's always due to our lack of faith that he will move. And so even in this place this morning, I just want to encourage us as we gather around the word of God today, what does our faith look like today? I believe that God wants to release something to us this morning. It doesn't matter where you find yourself, whether you're in in a close relationship with God, you feel really good about that, or whether you feel distant wherever you're at, God has something for you today. He wants to release it to you. And I want to encourage you this morning that as we gather around the word of God today, let's make sure that we aren't the, the block for God to release that in us. Pastor Brandon, encourage us. Come on, church, if we're going to clap for something, let's clap for something. But Pastor Brandon, encourage us even this morning in our worship, let's not be the barrier as God wants to release what he's doing here. Let's come in with a a new level of expectation. And expectation really is just a faith that God is going to move in this place this morning. Cool. So why don't we, actually, I want to point this out too. As I was thinking about all this stuff, I came up with this like a little, little phrase is, uh, we're not a church with a hometown health problem. That's not who we are at Slate Church. We, uh, we honor our leaders, and, uh, and we have great expectation for what God is going to do. Amen? Amen? Amen. Come on. Why don't we open our Bibles this morning to Romans. We're going to look at Romans 3, 23. Romans is a book that was written by a man named Paul. Paul was a guy uh, that used to be called Saul. And, uh, and he used to kill Christians a lot, a lot of Christians. And, uh, and he was killing them, and then he had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus said, Paul, what are you doing? Don't do this thing anymore. And then he turned his life around and became one of the, the greatest church planners in, in history. And so we're going to read out of one of the letters that he wrote to the church in Rome. 
Romans 3.23, it says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Come on, why don't we pray this morning? Dear God, I thank you so much for the chance that we have to gather in your house today. I thank you for just the, the, the environment that we're in, an environment of expectation. God, I thank you that your presence is here with us today, that you're going to move in this place this morning, that you already have in the worship time. And, uh, and I'm looking for, God, as I communicate this, the best way that I know how, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would open our ears and open our hearts to what you're going to do today. And God, whether I hit it on the mark in my communication or I don't, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in the hearts of people here today. We love you and we thank you and just ask all of this in your name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, what I, what I want to talk about today is, is uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'll tell you as I talk about it. But I want to I frame it a little bit in, in the context of a story so that we can kind of like attach, okay, what we're talking about is framed in this story that may, maybe we understand a little bit better. And it gives you a little bit more context about who I am and, and why I'm going to be up here for the next like 30 minutes communicating to you. So... Uh, about a year and like three or four months ago, I got married to my wife, uh, Beth. Come on. She's amazing. It's the best day of my life. Um, and, and it's interesting how you know a lot about a person when you're dating them or when you're engaged to them, but you don't really like understand the fullness of who that person is until you get married to them. And, uh, and there were a few things that I, I recognized when we were dating that I was like, oh, this is really cool. I love this about her. This is awesome. Then when we got married, I was like, oh, my goodness, this, like, this goes so much further than I ever even imagined. And some of those things were amazing, and some of those things were not so amazing. And I'm sure that she had those things for me as well. And, uh, and one of the things that I realized as we got married and as we began to, to communicate more and have conversations about things is that Beth is, is she's somebody that can speak with a high, 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 high level of confidence about really any subject. If she knows a lot about it, she speaks with a high level of confidence. If she doesn't know a lot about it, uh, she still speaks with a high level of confidence about that thing. And the problem is, I do this exact same thing. The bigger problem is she's just better at it than I am. And so we could be having an argument about something neither of us know anything about, and we could be going at it and going at it and going at it and going at it, and she will win nine times out of ten because she's just better at that than I am. And I'll quit, and I can't do it, and she's wrapping me up in circles. But one of the things that we would, we would uh, converse about is, is this, this idea of, of, of color, she loves interior design. She's, a, she's got a, an incredible eye for it. Our home is beautiful because she's very thrifty and frugal, and she can pull things together that you wouldn't expect, and it, and it comes together, and it looks amazing. And so she was sort of the authority on color in our home. She was just like, oh, yeah, color, like, I got this. This is beautiful, and it works with this. And I would ask her, like, hey, what do you think about this shirt with this pants and all these things? And, uh, and one day, I came into the room, and I said, babe, look, I've got these gray shoes. I got these black pants, and I've got a gray shirt. What do you think about this outfit? And she goes, that looks great. Your gray shoes look great. Your, your black pants look great. But your shirt is not gray. It's, uh, it's blue. And I said, I said, no, it's gray. <laughs> she said, it's blue. I said, babe, it's gray. She said, it's blue. I said, it's gray. And then we kept saying the same thing, except we just began to escalate the conversation. 
And I was convinced that it, the shirt was gray. And this began a conversation with us again and again and again of, of like, okay, well, what color is that? Okay, well, what color is that? What color is that? And for most things, we would line up. And for some things, we would be on complete opposite sides of the fence. And because neither of us is willing to say, maybe you're right, we both just said, I know that you're wrong. And so... <laughs> So all of this, this is a context for what happens. Netflix comes out with this show um, about, like, how the mind works. This was, like, a few months ago. I know there's one that's kind of circulating right now. It wasn't that one. It was even earlier than that. And the first episode of the show, they talk about uh, this idea of, of being colorblind and what causes it. And so I go, babe, this is amazing. we got to watch this show, and we got to find out what the deal is here. Who is colorblind in this conversation? We're going to dig into this. And so we, we put on the show, and we, we watch it, and, uh, and it starts with a series of tests. It starts with a series of tests to understand where you fall on that, like, colorblind or not colorblind spectrum. And, uh, and then it begins to explain how that works. And so we didn't really care about how it worked, and I, I didn't really pay attention to that, and I don't know how it works, but I know that we, we did the tests together. So the tests go like this. The first test, it pops up on the screen, and it's, um, I don't even remember. It just pops up, and it says, can you see this thing? And immediately I go, ah, I can see it. And she goes, I can see it too. Okay. So then the screen goes away. The next screen comes. And there's a, there's a, a building worry in my heart that, oh, my goodness, what if on one of these screens it pops up, and she can see something that I can't see, and then I'm colorblind, and she's the one that actually can see properly. And so screen two pops up, and it says, hey, can you see this thing? And I don't, I don't remember what it was. And I said, I can see it. She goes, I can see it. Okay, screen three pops up, and they progressively get harder and harder, and every time I'm having a harder time seeing what the thing is. Screen three pops up, says, can you see this thing? I can see it. I can see it too. Oh, my goodness, but barely. I'm having a hard time. I'm, like, squinting and, and looking at it, and she's getting it so fast. She's just getting it so fast, and I'm getting nervous and nervous and nervous, and then the final screen pops up, and it says, this is the last test, and the screen pops up, and it's, it's one of those circles that has a bunch of smaller circles inside. You know what I mean? Like, have you seen this before? It's like one big circle and a bunch of small circles inside and it's a variation of a green or a red or something like that. And it says, what number is inside the circle? And I look at the circle and immediately, I can't see it. I can't see the number and I'm squinting my eyes and I'm like getting fearful and like 10 seconds is counting down on the clock. And I'm like looking at it a bunch of different ways. I'm like trying to go like a little cross-eyed or something. Like, how, how can I see this? And Beth goes, I can see it. And my heart drops. And I go, oh, my goodness, I'm colorblind. And I look at the, I look at the dots, and I, I can't see the number. But I'm not going to admit it. So I just, like, I'm just going to say it's 13 and pray to God that it was 13. And so the screen goes away, and she goes, what number was it? And I go, it was 13. She goes, no, it wasn't. It was 29. You're wrong. You're colorblind. And then... And I'm, and I'm broken. I'm broken up about it. And she is like, she's not going easy on me either. She's going, I told you the shirt was blue. What did I say to you? You should have listened to me. You should have never wore it with the gray shoes. And so we're sitting there on the couch, and I'm just like, I'm like broken. And so I'm trying to keep the tears from coming out. And, uh, and, and the guy pops back up on the screen, and he goes, hey, congratulations. If you could see the number in that last photo, you are blue-green colorblind. And I was like, I told you that you were colorblind. If you could see the number, you're colorblind. It was like the greatest reversal in all of history. And I jumped up on the couch, and I said, what did I say? The shirt is gray. I'm not questioning my salvation anymore. In Jesus' name, I'm confident in what he says. We're good to go. The shirt is gray. It's not blue. I'm not colorblind. Hallelujah. 
Praise the Lord. It was the greatest like reversal of a conversation I've ever been in. And I hold on to it. And I was recounting the story to Beth the other day. And she goes, how do you remember that in such detail? I said, babe, I will never forget that moment. It was like the greatest triumph of my life. But it was so interesting. Like this, this, like that we were both so like set in this understanding of color. This is how it is. No, this is how it is. And, and this shirt was something that caused so much tension in our relationship of like, okay, no, it's, it's blue. No, it's gray. No, it's blue. And, and it was interesting. And, and as I began to process this, we're looking at the same thing, right? Beth and I are looking at the same shirt. The shirt is just like, it's a shirt. It's not one of those like cool sequin shirts that changes or anything like that. It's a plain cotton shirt. And when she sees it, she sees blue, right? Through her lens, through her, her, her perspective, through her understanding, she sees the shirt and it's blue. It's as blue as blue can be. And for me, when I look at the shirt, it's gray. From my framework of understanding, as I look at the shirt and through the lens of my eyes and the way my brain processes what I'm seeing, it's gray. And this is how it is. And, and, and you, there's no way of talking around it. She sees what she sees. I see what I see. And it's all dependent on how our brain is processing the thing that we're looking at. And, and, and I think this is important because I, I think that what we believe about something determines how we behave around that thing. I looked at this shirt and I believed that it was gray. This shirt is gray. And because I believe that it's gray, I will behave as if it is gray. I will wear it with gray shoes. I won't put it with uh, certain colors. I don't know. I'd have to ask Beth what I don't wear gray with and what I do wear gray with. But, but because I believe something about this shirt, I will behave a certain way around that shirt. And because Beth believes something about that shirt, she will behave a different way with that shirt. This applies to people, right? Depending on what I behave or believe about somebody will influence the way that I behave around that person. So if I believe that you are a trustworthy person, whether you are or you aren't, whether I, if I believe that, I will behave around you as if you are trustworthy. I will be more open with you. I'll trust you with things. I'll be more vulnerable in that conversation. But if I believe that you are an untrustworthy person, then I will not trust you. Right? I will be a little tentative around you. I'll be hesitant to share the things that are on my heart. I'll be hesitant to be vulnerable. And it goes both ways. And, and whether you are that thing or you aren't that thing, it doesn't really matter it's what I believe about you to be true. And that influences how I behave. Have you ever had a friend or a relationship where initially you believed one thing about them and as you got to know them more, that belief shifted and the way that you behaved around them began to shift over time as well? This happened with my friend, uh, Tim Hutchison. He was playing the electric guitar. Uh, when I first met that guy, I couldn't stand him. Like we were in a, in a room together and I just thought like, man, this guy, like he just gets on my nerves. Like it just bothers me to be around him. And as I began to build relationship with him, all these things that I initially understood to be true about Tim in my own perspective, in my own framework of understanding, I realized were false. I realized he's actually a really, really humble guy. I, I realized he actually really loves people. I actually realized he, 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 he is very generous as an individual. And as I began to understand him better, my behavior around him changed. And now he's one of my closest friends. What we believe about something determines how we behave around that thing. And I think you can see where I'm going with this because what we believe about God, the framework through which we understand God, the lens by which we understand this is what he thinks of me, this is how he sees me, this is how I interact with him, this is how he interacts with me or doesn't interact with me, influences the way that we behave in our relationship with God. See, it's the, it's the framework that I want to talk about today. 
It's the framework of understanding. Because just like the shirt, God is exactly the same as he always has been and as he always will be. He is completely just and he is completely loving. He has created an opportunity for us to be in relationship with him and he wants to be in relationship with us. And those are the things that sometimes we know, but it's not our knowledge that influences our behavior. It's often our beliefs that influence our behavior. So what do we believe about God? What do we believe about our relationship with God? What is the framework of understanding that we have when it comes to God? If you're looking for a a, a message for this title today, you can call it Fix Your Framework. We've got to fix our understanding of who God is, how we perceive God. I wonder today what beliefs we hold about God that are just plain wrong, but influence and often determine the way that we interact with him. You know, when I was a, when I was a child, when I was really young, uh, I grew up, uh, my dad was a, a pastor, then he was a, a traveling evangelist, and then he was a uh, missionary, and then he was a pastor again. And, uh, and so I'm like about as churched as it comes. I've seen the full breadth of PK, MK, like EK, all the Ks that you can be as a child. <laughs> all kind of in my dad traveling and doing ministry and, and sharing the gospel with people. And, uh, and it was amazing, and I, and I wouldn't change my upbringing for anything, but one of the things that we had to do growing up was we had to memorize scripture. And it's one of the things that I'm so thankful for now, but, uh, but we had these flashcards, right? <laughs> my mom had like all these flashcards. She bought them in a bundle at the Christian bookstore, and on one side of the flashcard, it had the reference, and on the other side, it had the verse. And, and there was 26, and it was all the letters of the alphabet, and each verse it started with the letter of, uh, of the verse. And so C was, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right and pleasing unto God. Don't remember the reference because uh, it didn't stick, but the verse did. That's the important part. Um, and then B was, um, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And A, the first scripture that I ever committed to memory as a person was Romans 3.23, where all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I remember being young, and I remember having this roll around in my, my mind all the time. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's the first thing that's in my brain, and it sticks to this day. And it, and it was just something that I, I thought about a lot as a child. I had to say it a lot to memorize it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned, for all have sinned. For every single person has missed the mark of who God is, has missed the standard that God has set. For all people, myself included, everybody included, whether we know God or whether we don't know God, for all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He is glorious, he is holy, everybody's missing the mark, and we fall short of the glory of God. And I began to to focus and emphasize this distance that I had between myself and God. My sin is distancing me from God. For all have sinned and fallen short, I have fallen short of who God is and what he set out for me to, to obey and for me to believe and for me to live up to. And this, this, this for all have sinned, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, again, 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 it rolled over in my mind. And it, and it began in, in my life. And, and as I've talked to some people about this, I've seen patterns of this in their own life of what, what, I, what I have kind of called the cycle of separation. And the cycle of separation, let me explain it to you, it looks like this. Everybody at some point in your life, you have had some level of interaction with God. 
whether it's somebody sharing the gospel to you, whether it's somebody inviting you to church, whether it's coming to a church service, maybe today is your first time and you have some level of interaction with God. There is a point of contact as a person with you and God. And then a day rolls by, something happens. You, you Romans 3.23, for all of sin, fall short. You say something you wish you didn't say. You look at something you wish you didn't look at. You, you behave a way you wish you didn't behave. And we take a step away from that moment with God and that interaction with God. And then we go, Okay, well, like, how do I get back? You were feeling guilty about that. The weight of what we did is weighing on us. The, the, the separation is weighing on us now. And we, it's like, oh, this is no longer a safe place. What once was really cool and, and amazing, now I feel just, like, bad about it. I feel a lot of guilt. I feel a lot of condemnation. I feel like I'm, I'm separated from God. And we take a step away, and then we go to bed, and, and the next day comes, and, and we take another step away. And just time begins to pass. And sins begin to pile up, and, and, and missing the mark keeps happening, and I keep taking a step away, and I keep taking a step away, and another day goes by, and, and it begins this cycle of separation, and my last point of contact was with God all the way over there, and I'm, I'm stepping away, and I'm stepping away, and I'm stepping away, and, uh, and, and I want relationship with God. I miss relationship. What happened was amazing. I'm, I'm interested. I'm curious. I've been reading my Bible day in and day out. There was a moment where I prayed, and a moment where I felt the Holy Spirit, but now I feel so far away from what God has done. And my last point of contact is so distant. Kanye West said it best when he says, I want to talk to God, but I'm afraid because we ain't spoken so long. I, I, I want to have relationship, but I'm kind of scared because it's been a long time since him and I have been close. And there's a distance, there's a cycle of separation. And as we continue to get further and further of God, we continue to, to create this space and this distance. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I wish as a child I would have not just memorized Romans 3.23, but I would have memorized Romans 3.24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. I wish as a child... I'd have committed to memory Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. I wish that my framework of understanding with God wasn't so boxed in to say, Ah, oh God, all of this guilt is coming from you. And why are you, you must be so mad at me. My framework is broken. And I don't get why you would feel this way towards me. Because I thought that you loved me. And I thought that you created me. And now, and, and my last point of contact with you is so far away. And I have to trudge back through all all the things that I did or didn't do to get back to this point of, of contact with you. And I wish that I would have had a better framework of understanding God to know that my next step with God isn't all the way back where I came. My next step is as close as one step because he is always close to us. And though all have sinned, all are freely justified through Christ. And though I was dead in my sin, I have become alive in Christ. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You know, I think we need to fix our framework of understanding of who God is. We need to be careful that our, our life doesn't become a cycle of separation and we, we, we idolize and, and we put on a platform moments where we were in relationship with God, but everything between here and where I am now is this big expanse of, of guilt and shame and condemnation that I carry on my shoulders. And I want to talk to God, but I'm afraid because we haven't spoken so long. Got to fix our framework. We gotta get an understanding of who God is and how he loves us. We gotta read our Bibles to, to get it into our head and get it into our heart. John 3, 16, this is like the classic verse, but it's so important. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
You know, John 3.16 is extremely important. It's, a, it's an incredible verse. But the same as Romans 3.23, let's not forget John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And we've got to fix our framework this morning. We've got to have a correct understanding of who God is and the way that he sees us and how we interact with him and how he interacts with us. So there are three quick points that I, I want to share today on how we can keep our framework in check. And the first is this. Know what God says. In order to fix your framework, in order to clarify an, your understanding of how God sees you and how God loves you and how God behaves around you and how you're supposed to act and react around him, you need to, one, know what God says. How do we know what God says? Got to read our Bibles. We got to do it. We got to do it a little. We got to do it a lot. We got to do it with a commentary. We got to do it without a commentary. We got to read the, the, the KJV, the ESV, the NIV, all of the Vs, the NLT. We got to read the message. We got to read like the, the amplified version. Whatever, it, 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 whatever helps you, whatever is available to you, whatever you have access to, read it. How will we know who God is if we don't read about it in his word? And how will we read about him if we never open our Bibles? It doesn't need to be hours and hours and hours and hours of, of reading and hours and hours of, of studying. I often find myself like, when, every time I go to read my Bible recently, I'm, I'm feeling guilty because I'm thinking about the last time that I'd done it. I'm like, shoot, this is a way too much time in between then and now. And then I'm thinking like, how do I reorganize my day so that in order to appease God, I can read the next six chapters but still have time to go get groceries and go home and feed the dog that we now have and all of these other things. I'll take it. But this is, this is the cycle of separation. This is this guilt that we feel around the thing that actually is going to move us closer to God. And if we would just understand that this moment with him, this moment in time with him where I say, God, you know that I'm broken. You know that I'm, uh, there's, there's a lot going on in my heart. But I thank you that you've already paid for that. I thank you that Christ has already come and already died and covered my sins. And that I don't have to run all the way back to that first point of contact. But I can just step back into relationship with you. We've got to read our Bibles. We've got to read truth. Like Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the only part of that verse that I've memorized. And it, the rest of it is important. But what I have to keep reminding myself, there's no condemnation. This is not God. This is not uh, what God is putting on me. I'm putting, on, I'm putting this on myself because I don't understand. My framework is broken. My understanding of who God is is off. It's just a little shifted. Psalm 1911, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I mean, how many of us are hiding God's word in our heart? How many of us know from a deep place of who we are the truth about who God says he is? That he does love us. That there's no condemnation. That he's freed us. That we don't have to live in, in, the, in the confines of our sin and in the cycle of separation, but also the cycle of sin that we might find ourselves in. A habit or an addiction that we just can't seem to break. A, a mindset that we don't even know where to start to get out of. You know, things that we learned as a young child that, that we get stuck in all of the time. How do we, like... Yeah, I know that I, there's freedom from this. And I know because we say it all the time and people encourage and I'm at church and they're saying like, there's freedom in Christ. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like, but do I really believe that at the core of who I am? Do I truly have faith that I can be free from the things that I find myself cycling and cycling and cycling and cycling in? Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it's interesting 
And the, the reason this is important is because you can see time after time after time after time again in Scripture where people would have an understanding of who God was or, or hide his word in their heart or, or have an interaction with God and remember what he said and where the enemy will come along and try to confuse the person about what God said. We see it right back at the very first moment with, with Eve. When Eve was in the garden and God said, uh, don't eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and she goes by the tree and the serpent is there and the serpent says, did God really say not to do that? I mean, if Eve had hidden his word in her heart, she would say, uh, yeah, he did. <laughs> and I'm not going to do it. But the confusion was there and she thought, did he really say that? Did he really say that? And what she responded with was a tweak on what God said. She said, don't eat it and don't even touch it, which is like, God didn't say don't touch it. He just said don't eat it. And if we don't know what God says, we read into it things that come from our own experiences. And it's often a lot worse than God has actually laid out for us. It's often a lot more strict than what God has said and defined. So we need to hide his word in our heart so we may not sin against him, but we may know, not just not sin against him, but we may know what he says about us and have an understanding of our relationship with him. Because I'm telling you today, he loves you so much more than you know and certainly more than you feel on a day in and day out basis. We have to let his word get into us so we aren't questioning things, but have sure footing when we lose our framework. Second point I want to, to make today about this, of how do, we, how do we keep our framework in check? How do we understand who God is? How do we stay in relationship with him and not let our framework to drift? Point one, we gotta know what God says. Point two is this, we need to check in with community. Step one is, is getting the word inside of us. Step one is getting the Bible. What did, what did God say from his mouth? What did he say about me? What is the truth of, of who I am as a person? What did God say? It's getting inside of you. And though it's inside of you, you want to make sure that you're actually fleshing it out outside of you as well. With the right relationships and in context. See, there's, when, God, when we read the Bible, we don't just read it in this vacuum of pure truth that like a laser beam neons into our brain and like sears all of the truth into our mind. We read the Bible, and not in a vacuum, but in, in the context of our lives. In the context of, of what we were told growing up in the context of society, in the context of relationships, in the context of all of these things. And so for me to just sit down, open the Bible, and read exactly through, instead of understanding the truth that's in there, I'm going to read into it all sorts of these things, the same way that Eve did in the garden, that I just have that are inside of me. And so as I sit down and read the Word of God, I have to just read it through, but I also need to flesh that out in conversation with people around me, in community. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron so one person sharpens another. See, God created community for a reason, a purpose. We just understand community because it's what we've always had as people. Like, from the moment you're born, you're in community, you're in a relationship with your, your family, or you're in a relationship with somebody that is giving you life. There's just community around us from the moment, like, we exist. But I was thinking about this, and, like, I, I realized, like, God creating the earth, God creating the way that we operate as people, he could have, if he wanted to, completely just created it in this like weird silo relationship where it's just like God at the top and me at the bottom and we're all just kind of like bumping into each other down here on earth and there's no like outward expression of who we are and it's just us and God. And he could have done that and we would have never known the difference, but he didn't. He chose to create community. He chose to create an opportunity for us to be in relationship, not just with him, but with each other as well. And so there's purpose to community. So my encouragement this morning is, is get good iron around you. As iron sharpens iron, you got to get good people around you. You will be sharpened by them. 
There's this saying, people hear all the time, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Whoever you circle yourself with, whoever you surround yourself with, they are going to influence you, whether you like it or not. And they will move you closer to Jesus or they will move you farther from Jesus. And the choice that you get to make in all of this is who those people are. So uh, this, is, this is the point of connect groups at our church. This is the reason that they exist. Get yourself in community with people that, that know the word of God, that love God, that are wrestling through this with you, that live in this city in this year and are wrestling with what it looks like to actually live out their faith day to day. Get in community, get good iron around you. Once you get it around you, let them know you. Let them know who you are. What we believe about people influences how we behave around them. So allow yourself to believe the good in somebody. Allow yourself to believe that at a connect group or in a relationship with somebody that you think actually this person could push me forward, don't withhold. Allow yourself to, to, to be vulnerable. Again, Silas and I, we were driving back from, from our conference and, and there were some things and I'm like, Silas is an awesome guy. I don't really know him that well, but I think he's, I think he's solid. And I allowed myself to share some of the things with Silas that I've been wrestling through. I'm working on, you know, what like, what is, what is the Holy Spirit actually like? How does that look in my life? And how does it flesh out? And we're wrestling with these conversations. And I allowed Silas to just see into my life a little bit. Now, how, how will anybody know I'm going through this if I don't let them know I'm going through this? And the third thing under this, not the third point, but it's the third part of, of getting good iron and getting good people around you, is let them know you and then let them speak into your life. Have an open ear to what they're gonna say. And this is why the iron is so important. This is why the first step is so important, the good people around you. You gotta let them in, but then you gotta let them call you to a higher standard. You gotta let them encourage you. You gotta hear feedback with a positive attitude. You gotta hear criticism even with a positive attitude. You gotta be unoffendable as a person and just say like, okay, thank you for that. And sometimes you gotta take it with a grain of salt, but you gotta take it all and you gotta grow in it. Let them know you and then let them speak into your life. The third point in fixing our framework and maintaining an understanding of who God is, is this. We need to ask the Holy Spirit for help. John 16, verse seven to nine says this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, this is the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And what does he do? Verse eight, it says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He won't condemn the world, he'll convict the world. Don't discount the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't discount that still small voice of God that is, in, in the back of your mind, maybe you're trying to quiet it, maybe you've ignored it for a long time, but don't discount the Holy Spirit actually working in you. There are things that the people in this room that have been wrestling again, like I said, for the same stuff for a long time and a long time and a long time and you go around and you go around and the cycle of separation happens and it just gets worse and it gets more entrenched and this is my behavior and this is now my identity and this is who I am. And we don't want it to be that way. And we say, God, I need you to get me out of this. Well, we don't even say it with that much vigor. We just say it like, God, you, sorry, again, like my bad. Help, help me to figure it out, amen. 
And there's a bit of a, a defeated attitude in us as people and when we get around the same thing and same thing and same thing and same thing. And I think this morning, if we'd have a little bit of faith when we prayed over this stuff, we would actually shift our understanding and say, you know what, I'm not just gonna come with kind of like a lackadaisical attitude. I, I'm saying this because I did it this past week. There's, a, there's a, a pattern in my mind that I go through and I go through and I go through and I go through and I prayed about it and I just said, God, like help me to break out of this. And I got really convicted in that prayer because the question that I got was like, do you even mean that? Do you even want that? Is that something that you actually want? Because if you want it, I can give it to you, but do you want it? Do you have the faith to ask me with an earnest place at the bottom of who you are? God, I need this from you. Don't discount the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And don't think that you got to do it on your own. Literally just ask. Holy Spirit, can you help me deal with this? Can you help me deal with this? God, can you help me deal with this? I'm having a hard time thinking through this thing. Can you help me deal with it? I'm thinking really like terrible thoughts about this person from something I don't even know why they're there. Can you help me figure this out? Don't discount the power of the ask when you ask the Holy Spirit for help in your life. Romans 8, 5 to 6 says this. I think we've got it on the screen. If we don't, if we can throw it up because I don't just want to read it. I want to read it together. Romans 8, 5 to 6, it says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life. The framework governed by the flesh is death. My framework to understand God that says, ah, I feel guilt, I feel condemnation, is death. It'll push me deeper into my cycle. But the framework, the mind governed by the Spirit is life. Ask the Holy Spirit, God, where, where can you lead me today? What is something new that you have for me today? God, where, open my eyes to what you're doing in my life and the life around me. I want my mind to be governed by you and not governed by myself because when it's just governed by me, I get in the same patterns of stuff and I want a new thing in my life and I believe you're gonna bring a new thing in my life. Well, why don't, why don't we stand this morning? This is all that I... Of God in terms of fixing our framework and keeping our minds in check. But don't let your, your mind create the framework of understanding for who God is. Let the Holy Spirit working inside of you fix your framework of who God is. There's a story in scripture that I, that I love that I go back to again and again and again and again. And it's the story of this woman, we've heard it before, it's a woman who's caught in adultery, right? She's caught in adultery and the, the religious leaders of the time bring her out and they put her in front of Jesus and they try to trap Jesus and they say, according to the law, Jesus, because of what this woman has done and how we've caught her, we get to stone her now. What do you say about this? And Jesus says, okay, well, anybody here, yes, she's sinned, but anybody here who hasn't sinned, you can go ahead and be the first person to cast condemnation on this individual. See, one of the great challenges of, of a broken framework is that it doesn't just apply to us. We begin to put that condemnation on the people around us. And so Jesus is in front of this woman and he says, anybody that's not sinned, you go ahead and, and throw the first stone. And it says one by one, everybody leaves. And then it's just Jesus and it's just the woman. And it's the two of them. And everybody else is gone. There's no show. There's no demonstration. It's just Jesus and just this woman. And this is where we find ourselves 
all the time. It's just me and it's just God. I'm driving alone in my car and it's just me and it's just Jesus. I'm sitting down at home and it's quiet for a moment and I'm, and I'm thinking, do I turn the TV on or I'm just here and it's just me and it's just Jesus. And my expectation in this moment is condemnation. For Jesus to say, what are you doing? Look, I saved you in this moment, but you gotta figure it out and pull it together. But what does Jesus say to this woman in this moment? He doesn't say any of that stuff. He says, look around. Who is left to condemn you? She says, nobody. And Jesus says, just him, just her. He says, neither do I condemn you. He doesn't leave it there. He says, now go and sin no more. See, relationship with Jesus isn't about condemnation. Relationship with God isn't about guilt and shame. It's about a conviction to act. It's about a conviction to follow him. It's about a conviction to align our lives with him. It's about a conviction to fulfill the great commission of going into the world and making disciples of all nations. It's a conviction to act. It's a conviction to grow. It's a conviction to behave, not a condemnation or a guilt spent by, created by our own minds in the framework that we have of God, but the framework through the Holy Spirit is a conviction to remain and to grow in relationship with Jesus. Thank you for watching. Again, if you were impacted by this message in any way, send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. You can also visit slatechurch.com and fill out one of our online connect cards. We would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. As well, you can stay connected with us by following us at Slate Church on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.